Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me again this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 today. And I want to entitle this, Essentials to Understanding Spiritual Matters, or Spiritual Gifts specifically. Essentials to Understanding Spiritual Gifts. I have a bass boat, and by the graciousness of God, someone gave that to me several years ago. There are a few things that you would need to know before you get in my bass boat. If you don't believe this, ask Scott Brown, who will be doing a concert for us, about a mini concert on the 20th of this month. You ask Scott about my bass boat. You need to know certain things about my boat. Before you ever get in it, before you ever try to drive it, you need to know certain things. The one specific thing you need to know is it has a heart, has, has a tendency to pull to the right. Now, if you don't know that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Matter of fact, Scott was going down the river about 60 miles an hour in my boat. He forgot that essential. His hat blew off, and he immediately, with his right hand holding the steering wheel, let go of the steering wheel and reached up and grabbed his hat. And that boat at 60 miles an hour did a right turn. His brother-in-law was in the boat, threw him 40-some yards out of the boat, threw Scott into the other side of the boat and knocked him cold, just knocked him out. They were fishing with some other ones, and they had to come up and find him, and they said it was just a scary thing, but thank the Lord, they both were okay. That needed to be understood before you drive my boat. There's some things you've got to know. Now, the Apostle Paul, before he even begins to, to unveil what the gifts are, lays some groundwork to make sure we understand some essentials before we even begin to discuss spiritual gifts. Now, to give you a little more background, there is no doubt from our study for the last year and a half that the church of Corinth was a church that knew truth but had chosen not to respond to truth. And the results were pretty bad. One of the results was they had a distorted view of spiritual matters. They were ignorant of spiritual matters. And Paul unearths their immaturity one more time in verses 1, 2, and 3. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. The word gifts does not appear in Scripture. That's written in by a translator. Actually, I, concerning spiritual matters. And since the tense that he uses here is the present tense, Paul says, I do not want you to go on being ignorant of spiritual matters. You see, that's what happens when you live under the flesh control rather than under the control of the Spirit of God. You have a distorted view of spiritual matters, not just gifts. 
anything to do with the realm of the Spirit, from surrender to the Scriptures to prayer to all these things and how they fit in the economy of spiritual gifts and matters. They had a distorted view of that. They were ignorant of spiritual matters. They had no balance. If you put it in the context of gifts, they would be bitter that they didn't get the gifts somebody else got or proud that they had more gifts than somebody else had. They had no concept of what this was all about. But also, as a result of their unwillingness to surrender to reveal truth, they knew truth. Their unwillingness to surrender to it caused them to be under the influence of a pagan past. And you see, when you're letting the flesh control your life, the flesh is programmed by a pagan past. And there are many things that he could have brought up, but he only singles one out. In verse 2 he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by the dumb idols. However you were led. The word however you were led means by the helpless way in which you were led. In other words, he's referring to the manner by which they were sucked into this stuff and carried along by this, these things. You see, he singles out the area of idolatry. It had to have been, and, and particularly in that adultery was one single thing. It even narrows further than that. There was one thing that affected Corinth that did not affect Ephesus, did not affect Philippi, did not affect Thessalonica. It, it only affected Corinth. And that was the Delphic oracles from the little city of Delphi right outside of Corinth. These oracles were women, and these women would go into the temple of Apollo, go into the Holy of Holies, or what they would call it. Of course, that was a pagan term. And they would go inside the shrine there, where the, and they would sit on a tripod, and they would speak in an ecstatic tongue when they got to a certain pitch of ecstasy. And when they spoke it, it was gibberish. It meant absolutely nothing. Nobody could understand a thing they said even though they had people sitting around them that would say they would interpret this gibberish that they would say. And people were lured to this. It was like, a, it was like watching the psychic hotline on television. It was like looking in the newspaper, which is, which is such a sinful thing, to look in your horoscope to see what's going on. It's something that lured the people into understanding depths of things they couldn't get any other way. Pagan practices. Evidently that had crept back into Corinth. Somebody had gotten up in the church of Corinth or someone, people were getting up in the church of Corinth and they were speaking in a gibberish, an ecstatic tongue that is never and can never be under, interpreted or understood and they were saying that this was influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. Well, in verse 3 Paul adds the third characteristic of their spiritual immaturity which is the inexcusable speaking that comes from people who are not willing to surrender to Christ and to His Word. Things that they say and tell others are influenced by the Spirit of God. And in doing so, he not only clears up the matter of spiritual gifts, as we'll see later on, but he, he makes sure we understand that when somebody stands and says he's speaking under the influence of the Spirit of God, there are going to be three rules to that and three guidelines. Always remember this. First of all, when the Holy Spirit of God speaks or causes someone to speak, he will do so with intelligible language, a understandable, an understandable language. Verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking of the Spirit of God says. Now be careful here. The word for speaking there, laleo, is the word that originally meant to make a noise. And there are several words for speaking, and so in their language it's very specific. Anyone then making a sound or a noise under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Then the next word says, says. That's lego. Lego is a different word altogether. The word lego comes from the word logos, which always, always means an intelligible and understandable language. 
God speaks to us in language we understand. He speaks to us so that we can comprehend. Why? Because God is seeking to reveal himself to us. So when someone would stand and say, I'm being influenced by the Spirit of God, it will be in an intelligible, understandable language. That's the first rule that Paul covers, and you miss it if you don't know the language. Secondly, when the Holy Spirit influences one to speak, the truth will always be presented. You see, it wasn't just this gibberish that was going on in Corinth that he was dealing with. There were other things that were being said and people would say were influenced by the Spirit of God. He goes on to say in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. I used to think that what he was speaking of here was that somebody stood up, spoke in a language that he didn't understand, but was understandable to some, and he was saying Jesus is accursed and didn't even know he was saying that. And that, by the way, can happen and possibly was happening then, but I don't think that's what he's addressing. I have a friend that shared with me that one of his classmates memorized the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew. He went to a meeting to where people were speaking in ecstatic tongues. He spoke the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew. A man got up, gave an interpretation, had nothing to do with the 23rd Psalm. He didn't even know what he was saying when he stood up. Now that can happen. But what Paul is saying here I think is not that. He's dealing with all manners of speaking in the church of Corinth. Anybody who gets up and says, I'm under the influence of the Spirit of God. First of all, he'll speak in an intelligible, understandable language. Secondly, he will never, ever do anything but present truth. Jesus is accursed. The word accursed means he's given over to the curse for destruction, which means he would be a mere man, a divisive man. In other words, he's not God. Now, who would these people be? Well, we don't know. Perhaps it was a Jewish group that had gotten into the church that were not saved, but were trying to, to bring down and lower the deity of Christ, take the deity away from him, make him human, but not God. We don't know that. But he says when the Spirit of God influences somebody to stand and speak, the truth will be presented. You're not going to hear error if the Holy Spirit is influencing that person to speak. And then thirdly, the third guideline he gives is when the Holy Spirit influences one to speak, Christ will be revealed as Lord. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one, absolutely no one, can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's in the aorist tense. And he points back to the time when you got saved, when I got saved, and to the, when the Corinthians got saved. He says, at that specific time, when you confessed Jesus to be your Lord, that was not by your mental, intellectual pursuit. That was by revelation of the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God influences someone to speak, Jesus is presented. He's presented as Lord. The Spirit never speaks of himself. He only presents Jesus. And so there are three good rules to remember that when one speaks under the influence of the Spirit of God, he will speak in a language that can be understood. He secondly will present truth, not, not error, about Christ or about anything. And then thirdly, Jesus will be presented and presented as Lord. Having mentioned these three characteristics of immaturity, ignorance of spiritual matters and all the things that we looked at, then he comes down and begins to lay the groundwork for understanding spiritual gifts. Since these people were so distorted, so upside down, worst church that you'll ever look at in the New Testament is the church of Corinth, then he has to be very plain and very simple. Like if Scott wants to borrow my boat again, I'm gonna say, Scott, do you understand? <laughs> I'm kidding, he, he would laugh if he were here. But what I'm saying to you, you have to be very simple, very plain. 
And that's what Paul does. And not only does he unravel the teaching on spiritual gifts, but also he sets the record straight as to the character of God who is the giver of these gifts. This is so important to realize. Not only were they distorted in their views of gifts, they were distorted in their view of who God is and how God works and acts in, in, in their lives. So, beginning in verse 4, first and foremost today, let's look at the fact that Paul addresses the focus of spiritual gifts. Now, the very moment you and I choose not to surrender to Christ, that can happen on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, any time that we choose not to surrender to Him, not to be obedient to Him, not to allow Him to be the river in us and us to be just the riverbed. When we choose to live after the flesh, at that very moment, our focus changes. Our focus changes from God to ourselves. Flesh knows only one thing, me, mine, I. That's all we're concerned about. And when a person is living after the flesh, that's all he wants to know. So therefore, putting in a spiritual context of gifts, a person living after the flesh like the believers at Corinth would not have God, the giver, as their focus. They would have the gift as their focus. And not only that, what gifts they have or what gifts they don't have. That becomes their focus. But the Apostle Paul shows us that there's a higher focus. He has that focus. It's not the gift but it's the giver. Listen, what is the sense in talking about the gifts if you don't understand the giver? And that was the very thing that Corinth needed more than anything else. When you're not focused on the giver of the gifts, upon his character, upon his love, upon his precious grace, upon his divine and sovereign purposes in your life, then it's easy to become disoriented and distorted in your views of spiritual gifts, of ministry, and of ministry's effect. This, it affects the other. When you understand God and you submit to that and His character and the fact that you don't deserve anything He does in your life and all these things are in perspective, then you can better understand gifts and you can understand spiritual ministry and you can understand effects of that for all of eternity. We can become jealous of the gifts that somebody else has. Or we can become proud of the gifts that we have if we're living as the Corinthian church, if we're living after the flesh. We may even try to produce the effects in our own energy sometimes, just so it may look like God's using us. All these things get distorted when your focus is not the giver. If your focus this morning is the gift, you're living just like the Corinthian. And you're living after the flesh, and that's what your problem is in your life. You must focus on the giver, not the gift. Now, notice the word same in verses 4 through 6. It uses it three times in three verses. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. That little word same becomes very, very important. The little word same is the word aftos. It's most of the time translated self as a pronoun or him or her or it. But when it has the definite article behind it, as it does in this case, it is translated same. The word same is used for the Holy Spirit in verse 4 that gives the gifts. In verse 5, it is the same Lord Jesus that reflects ministry. When the term Lord is used in Scripture, it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it's the same God the Father that causes the effects of these gifts. Whenever the, the Trinity is mentioned, 
And God is in the mix, the word God, and the definite article's behind it as it is here. It's referring to God the Father. The same Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. The same Lord Jesus that affects them, causes the ministry. The same God the Father that causes the eternal effects. Now, by using this word same and referring to the sameness of God, who is the giver of all the gifts, Paul is identifying the unchangeable source. Now, you've got to understand this. The source behind gifts, the source behind ministry, the source behind its effect is the same God we all have bowed before. He is unchangeable. He's, there's a sameness to God. God who is the source behind all spiritual gifts, ministry, and effects is the same. If we cannot trust. Now, when he uses the word same here, as he does, he's referring to his character. God is unchangeable in his character. You can never approach God that he can change his character. He is love and all the things that the scriptures teaches us. His character is impeccable and unchangeable. So, if we cannot trust the unchangeable character of the source of gifts, the unchangeable character of the source of ministry, the unchangeable character of the effects of that ministry, then very obviously we have a, a much distorted view of what this is all about. Paul, by using that term same, does the same thing that James does in James chapter 1, verse 17. James says, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, you'll always find him to be the same. The same God that saved you. The same God that's demonstrated his love towards us. The same God. He's always the same. There's no shadow of turning. He's always steady in his character, consistent and impeccable. He's doing the same thing the author of Hebrews did in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, when he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But there's something you must understand here. Their character never changes. It's God's character never changes. God the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, it never changes. It's the same. However, it always, remember, refers to his character, not to his ways. The ways of God are as changeable as the seasons of the year. God doesn't work the same in everybody's life. He doesn't always do the same. One person prays for healing and he's healed. Another prays for healing and he dies. God is not unchangeable when it comes to his actions. He's unchangeable when it comes to his character. Now we have got to understand this. Don't touch spiritual gifts. Don't take another step. Stop coming to church until you finally get to the point that you understand you're dealing with God whose character is impeccable and whose character is unchangeable, but whose ways are as varied as you could possibly imagine. He won't do the same thing again that he did before just because we ask him. If he does it, it's because he himself chose to do it. He's unchangeable in his character. He's changeable in his way. And you say, Wayne, where are you headed with all this? Well, it come, becomes very apparent here in the verses. The word same is contrasted with another word in all, four, all three verses. It's the word translated in the New American Standard, varieties. Now, if you've got a King James, you're very confused. Because in the King James, it changes the word in every verse, but it's the same word. That's why I appreciate the New American Standard here. Varieties, varieties, varieties. The contrast that he draws here. 
Look at, look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now the word for varieties is a word that comes from the word meaning to divide. When you surface translate this, by the way, it's the only time that word is used in the whole New Testament. So you can't go someplace else and figure out what it means. You've, you've got to look at it as the way the context unfolds. It's the word that doesn't just mean that the gifts are different. That's what most people think it means, varieties of gifts, like serving and mercy and whatever we want to get into later on. No, it has more to do with the way they're distributed. In other words, there are varieties of ways in which God distributes his gifts. And here's the key to that. He distributes gifts unevenly. And we must have, make sure we understand it. God chooses to distribute his gifts his own way. He'll give to one many gifts and he'll give to another this many. And it's never the same in everybody's life. That's why you've got to understand the character of God before you can understand the way he distributes his gifts. You better understand that it is by grace that you have any gift at all. Man, listen, I have some people tell me sometimes, I wish I had this gift or that gift, and I'm thinking to myself, I thought those things, but God has rebuked me when he said to me, Wayne, what are you doing? Just be grateful you have any gift that I've given to you. You see, if you don't understand the character of God, and if you don't understand the wicked, sinful nature of man, then you don't even need to be approaching the study of gifts. God distributes them un- Evenly. Look down at verse 11. Why does he do that? Just because he does. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. How? Just as he wills. Now, if you want to take up the matter, don't take up the matter with me. Take it up with God. God doesn't do it the way you think he does it. He doesn't give the gifts and distribute the gifts evenly. He does it unevenly. His character is the same. But the way he works is definitely varied. And as varied as even in the narrow context of gifts, he does not distribute gifts evenly. As verse 5 says, he goes on to say, he doesn't distribute ministry evenly. The Lord Jesus, the same. But when it comes to ministry, you'll see Stephen stand up and preach the same message Peter preached. Peter preached it and thousands were saved. Stephen preached it and he was stoned to death. So the ministry varies. It's not the same in one church as it is in another church. It's not the same with one pastor as it is the next pastor. God distributes gifts differently and God distributes ministries differently. His character is impeccable and unchangeable. But what he does draws a question mark in the human brain that you'll never have answered until one day we know as we're known. We'll not understand it. It's because he purposes it. Verse six, not only does he distribute ministries differently, he even distributes the effects of those ministries and those gifts unevenly. (laughs) Well, that's why sometimes we get hung up in this church thing. Well, how many did you have last Sunday? Ooh, I don't want to tell you it was Labor Day. Oh man, we had ministerially speaking, counting cats, dogs, flies, and mosquitoes, We had so many. And why do we do that? Because somebody else had more than we have. And we have always seemed like we've got to come up with something here. No, that's not the way it works. He distributes his gifts, his ministry, and effects unevenly. 
And you can't judge it the way the world judges it. Since man didn't come up with the gifts, man is not the one who evaluates those gifts. God's character is the same. He chooses to do, however, things that are varied and very complex to the human mind. He doesn't work the same way all the time. As the Spirit led Paul at one point to circumcise Timothy, but then he didn't circumcise Titus. I mean, there's different times and different ways and different things that God does. But his character is impeccable. This must be understood, as I said earlier, before spiritual gifts can be understood. If our focus is on the gifts themselves, we're going to be very confused. We're going to be distraught, distorted. We're going to think we didn't get, a man told me in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he said, Wayne, you don't understand the effects of a certain ministry here. He said, we have people, 80% of the people in the hospital beds in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as far as I'm concerned, that I have seen are here because of what distorted faith has done in their life. They thought they didn't get what somebody else got when they got saved. And they have lived killing themselves because they were not measuring to somebody else. They can't seem to overcome it. See, folks, it'll, it'll drive you crazy. There'll be a madness in your life if you don't understand the character of God and the grace and the mercy of God and the fact that we deserve nothing. And if you don't realize that, that married to that impeccable, unchangeable character are the many varied ways in which God chooses to work. Our focus must be upon the giver of all gifts. Our heart attitude must be, God, whatever you have given to me to minister and to give an effect, I want to thank you. God, if it's just sweeping the floor that nobody ever knows about. God, if it's, if it's setting up tables, if that's what it is, that's all right with me, God. I'm just so glad to be a part of what you're up to on this earth. And until that attitude is nailed down, don't go any further in trying to understand spiritual gifts. Because you won't be able to rejoice with others that God puts out in the forefront and allows many to be blessed by them. You won't understand that. But on the same hand, if your gifts are out there in front, and there are many, you better have this character of God nailed down, or you'll become proud of what you thought you were doing, and forget it's God as the originator. Let me have you take a little pop test this morning, okay? <laughs> take all the books off your desk, and take out a clean sheet of paper. Let me ask you this question. The past year, have you in any way become bitter because of your gift not being used to somebody else's? Have you become bitter because you don't have a ministry that somebody else has and you know good and well they don't deserve to have it? No, Brother Wayne, we just walk with God all the time. Why are you asking us this? Well, this past year, have you come across a brother that it seemed like the only gift he had was dissension and there's hardly any gifts in his life at all and you looked at the stain in him? What do you mean you don't have the ability to do this or that? And you've become a proud, arrogant, sorry believer in the body of Christ. Then it's obvious you don't understand the character of God. These are essentials. If you're going to talk about spiritual gifts, let's get into the character of God. Let's get into the ways of God because they're different. And I'll tell you, God so convicted me several years ago. I was down in South Africa. I preached a message that I just knew everybody and their brother-in-law were going to respond to. And nobody moved. Nobody even made mention of it. I sat down. Bill Stafford got up, preached a message. And I mean the whole place just went nuts. I mean the whole place just turned. 
And I got upset. I, I walked away from that meeting thinking, God, why did you do that? Now, you know good and well, mine was more textual than Bill's was. And you know good and well, I taught it the right way. Now, God, why did you let him see the effect and you didn't let me see the effect? And God hit me one more time with this truth. Who in the world do you think you are? But I'm going to tell you something, friend. You better get right with the character of God. You better get it right. You better get it right with the undeserving flesh that we deal with every day. And understand that if we're going to harbor these kind of attitudes, God just might decide, you know what? You're making a mockery out of me. I'm taking you out of here. And you wake up in heaven one day looking at him. God shares his glory with no man. So make sure before you even think about talking about spiritual gifts, you understand the focus. The focus is never the gift and never has been. The focus is the giver. And our response of surrender to him and our gratefulness to just be a part of whatever he wants to do. And whatever gift he wants to give, that's his prerogative. Well, the second thing that he brings out here in these essentials to understanding spiritual gifts is the fabric of spiritual gifts. Now, that's my own term because as I was studying it, something just hit me. In verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, it's the same Spirit who gives the gift. Again, his character is impeccable. It's consistent. But for the sake of illustration, then he could be the fabric of all the gifts. You know, a fabric is made out of one piece of cloth However, that cloth may be multicolored. Let's just simply say that the fabric of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. You say, why does he single out the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus is the one singled out when it comes to redemption. The Father is singled out when it comes to creation. And the Spirit is singled out when it comes to gifts and the way the Spirit works. It's all God. It's all God. There's only one God. There's not three gods. One God and three persons. Let's look at the Spirit of God as being the fabric of these gifts. But the colors of that fabric being different. The word for gifts in verse 4 is the word charisma. Charisma. It comes from the word charis, which means grace. And the world word ma at the end of it means the result of grace. So it refers to the gift itself. The result of God's grace giving something to us that we don't deserve is the gift itself. So that's the word charisma. That which God gives as a result of his grace. We get the word charismatic from it. Years ago, I was serving not another church and it began to grow. And some people got very upset that the church was growing because theirs weren't, it wasn't. And so they went to another person who, who was a higher up in our denomination and they said, Wayne has gone charismatic. Because that's the only thing they could explain maybe why the church was growing, even though we were just teaching the word, exactly what I've been teaching you for 17 years. With a whole lot less depth at that time in my life. My friend looked back at him and said, well, aren't you charismatic? And they said, what do you mean? He said, did you not get a grace gift when you got saved? Well, yes, I did. Well, then fine, you're charismatic. See, what we've done, we've taken a term right out of Scripture and made it mean something it doesn't mean. Every believer that's received Christ in his life is charismatic. You see, don't let one group take a term right out of the Scriptures and coin it and say this is what they are. If you have grace given to you, then as a result of that grace, you have a grace gift, and that makes you charismatic. You have received a gift of grace from God, that which God gives as a result of his grace. Now, immediately this answers a question somebody's got to ask. When do we receive these spiritual gifts? Well, <laughs> evidently, since they're gifts on the result of grace, 
When we receive grace, then we receive the spiritual gift. God is the embodiment of that gift. When the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ comes to live in us, He comes bearing gifts. These gifts are the result of our receiving His grace. His grace being extended to us and His grace being received in our life. When He comes in, He comes bearing gifts. Now since we receive these gifts, when we receive grace, because they're a product of grace, then evidently they're different from the talents that one has. Now this is interesting. See, somebody might have the talent of teaching school, but they had that before they got saved. They didn't receive that when they received grace. However, everything that God gives is gifts of grace, but in the narrow context of 1 Corinthians 12. I could speak, I was born talking. <laughs> I remember going to a speech class in college one time and they wanted me to give an impromptu speech and I forgot it, overslept the class. Matter of fact, five minutes before class, I dawned on me I had to give a speech that day on something and I hadn't even thought about it. As I was walking out of the room, I'm thinking, what, 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 what? And I grabbed my roommate's iron. I've never used an iron in my life, don't intend to. <laughs> I picked up the iron and I picked up a bottle of something that was sitting there. It was a cleanser of some kind. I picked it up and walked into class. It was my turn to speak. I got up and spoke for 30 minutes on how to clean an iron. I've never cleaned an iron in my life. <laughs> Everybody in the class was impressed by how much knowledge I knew about cleaning an iron, except the teacher. And when I sat down, she said, Wayne, would you like to know what your grade is on that? I said, yes. She said, zero. I said, why? She said, you've never cleaned an iron in your life. You've got the gift of gab and you didn't do your homework. <laughs> I could speak before I became a pastor. Now listen, when you start putting it into gifts form, hey, whoa, 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 this is something that originates right out of the very heart of God. And it changes the whole dimension. Does God throw our talents away? No, he uses them, but the spiritual gift wraps itself around them. There's something that is, is divine. It's something that is received when a person receives grace from God. But now the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in us, and he came bringing those gifts. Now this brings us back to the very character of God himself. The word grace itself, have you ever studied the word grace? How many times do you think of the word grace and you think of the fact that grace refers to what God does because we're talking about charisma? No, no, no. Grace refers to who God is long before it refers to what God does. And you've got to see the connection. When the word was beginning to unfold and making that word, it referred to the beautiful disposition of someone. Someone who was beautiful was not necessarily outwardly, it was inwardly. Just like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3. But then it began to move a little bit and the person who has a beautiful disposition within is a person who gives to others. Giving is always a beautiful example or outworking of, of, a, of a disposition within. But then it began to change even more. It became to mean, to, to mean that when you give it to somebody, you always give it to somebody who can't give it back, somebody who doesn't deserve it and could never earn it. And that became the meaning of grace. So when you speak of grace, before you ever think of what they do, you think of the inner beautiful disposition of God. And it's a beautiful disposition of God to come and live in lives like you and mine and to bring with him gifts. Not only the gift of the Holy Spirit being there, the Spirit of Christ, but the gifts for ministry, the gifts that he can utilize of drawing us in to what he's doing in his church in these days. God is the same. His beautiful disposition has never changed. He continues to give grace to those who are his children. And when that grace comes, with it comes the gift. The Holy Spirit is the fabric 
of that grace. In other words, he lives in us. That's the fabric, is the beautiful character of God. It's him living in us. But now wait a minute. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. I want to show you how my mind was working when I was studying, why I kicked onto the idea of fabric. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Peter speaking of gifts. The subject is the same. Both speaking and serving gifts. Look what he says. And I think to me, this just adds that little dimension that clarifies what Paul is already saying there in verse 4. 1 Peter 4.10. It says, as each one has received a special gift, each one, employ it in serving one another. Whatever that gift is, it's always a gift of service. We'll see that later on. As good stewards of the what? Of the manifold grace of God. Do you know what the word manifold is? Multicolored. Multicolored. That's what the idea came to me as I was studying. Maybe it would be a way of presenting it. The Holy Spirit living in you. You already have the Holy Spirit. He's the fabric. However, that fabric is multicolored. And you, the body of Christ on this earth is a huge thing. I mean, it extends all around the world of people that are believers. And me fitting into the body of Christ, having the Holy Spirit of God living in me, perhaps the color he gave me was blue (laughs) and the color he gave you was red. But all those colors go together to present the entity that lives in us, which is Christ. Not, Not any person sees all the gifts, but you see certain things and aspects of the life of Christ because it's him in us. The fabric of the gifts is the Holy Spirit. But that fabric is multicolored. That fabric is multicolored. Somebody, some people have much more of one color than another has. But it's multicolored. It's a beautiful garment, you see. And you fit somewhere in that garment. Same spirit gives the gifts, but they do not all look alike. The fabric is same, is the same. It is God, but the colors are different. Our focus must be the giver again. Our focus must be the giver. Therefore, once the giver can be understood, we can better understand the fabric of his garment, the differences in the gifts that people have. You know, this is a wonderful thing. When you begin to understand the diversity of the body and yet it all being a part of the same, when you begin to realize that not everybody's gonna look alike, do the same thing, have the same burden, you begin to understand even complaints, complaints complaints that are made in the, the light of the spirit. Somebody may, for instance, join Wilden Park and your gift is mercy. I guarantee you, the first thing you're going to do with me anyway is you're going to refer to those that that need mercy, whatever that might be. You won't do that with Haywood because Haywood exemplifies that gift in a most marvelous way. But then there are others who have a different gift. If you come in, you have the gift of serving. You're going to walk around these grounds, around this church sometime. You're going to say, you know what? This needs to be done. That needs to be done. This needs to be done. That needs to be done. But what's happening is you may not realize it yet. You may be focused on the wrong thing and therefore you don't understand the fabric Why did God God call you to this church? He didn't call you in here to point out the problems in this church. He called you in here to be a solution to the problems in this church. That gift of mercy that you have, use it. Surrender to him and let God in the fabric, in the color of the fabric he's given you, let him be manifest in and through you in that specific area when it comes to the body of Christ. We had somebody came one time years ago. I've been here so long now. I can't remember what year it was. I start my 18th year in a few weeks. And somebody came and, and they said, you know, I don't like this church. Preacher didn't send me a letter, didn't come out to visit me, didn't call me. And the person he spoke it to was the wrong person, the right person in my eyes, but the wrong person that he wanted to get a hold of. And he said, wait a minute, excuse me, do you have a, a burden in your heart 
that people be contacted when they join this church? Do you have a burden in your heart that people somehow be educated as to what this church is all about? He said, yes, I do. He said, would you ever think that God might have you to do just that in this body? He said, I have never in my life thought about it that way. I've always compared my burden to somebody else's and if they didn't have mine, I looked down on them with disdain, not realizing that the color of their gift wasn't the same color that mine is. Well, I tell you what, folks, these things have got to be understood before we get into anything about spiritual gifts. The fabric is the Holy Spirit. We all have Him living in us if you're a believer. However, the fabric is multicolored. The gifts are not the same. They're diverse. The character of the Spirit's the same, but the gifts aren't. And therefore, we must understand the fabric of this gift. I think about the, the body of Christ sometimes and the gifts like a giant jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> Have you ever worked one of those things? I remember when I was growing up and my mother wouldn't let me go out during cold days, maybe if I was sick or whatever. So she'd go to the store and bought one of these thousand piece jigsaw puzzles. You ever worked one of those? Now that's a good way to waste time. If you, if you don't have anything to do and are bored to tears, buy you one of those puzzles. And it works. I mean, it'll take hours. And you work and you work and you work. And one of the first rules that I learned of putting a jigsaw puzzle together was to put all those same colors into a certain spot. Put all the darks over here, the light. Oh, there's some light here. You put it and you begin to work that puzzle and you look for colors that fit it in to the other colors. And of course, when you finish, you have no idea except if it, unless the picture's on the box of the puzzle, what that's going to look like as a finished product. When you start seeing the body of Christ function in the multicolored gifts that God has given the same God, but the variety of His gifts, what happens is the picture becomes clearer and clearer and clearer of the entity that lives in that body. That's what a body's for, is to reveal the entity that lives within it. So you, your gift of service helps me when I'm commanded to serve to do it more gracefully because that's, the, that's, that's your role to function in the body. My gift will help you. All of us are there to, to serve one another. That doesn't come up quite yet until the next verse. All these gifts, multicolored gifts, like that giant jigsaw puzzle. Let me ask you a question. What part of that puzzle do you fit into this morning? Do you understand, first of all, that God saved you and loves you and you don't deserve a bit of that? Do you understand it's grace beyond the fathom of our human minds to realize that God even wants to use you or use me? He wants to come. He lives in us so that He manifests Himself through us. But in the church, He's given you a specific function and that function, your gift, is multicolored. It's different color than somebody else's. Now, why in the world would you want to have a gift if you're not going to allow the one who gave it to you to cause it to function? It doesn't make any sense. So, we have the focus. We have the fabric of gifts. And the third thing is the function of spiritual gifts. And I don't really have time to develop this, so hey, we'll pick it up next time. That's one good thing about walking through Scripture verse by verse. We have one minute and 32 seconds. I have a clock. Don't you look at yours. But I have one up here. It tells me exactly how long I have. So we'll just sort of pull it down. You know what? It's interesting to me. We sing the song, Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Do you realize when Jesus is Jesus in you, there's a character that he'll manifest that's going to be the same all through this whole body? The same. Because his character is impeccable and never changes. It's his character is wrapped around the fabric of love. But I want to tell you something. When it comes to ministering to one another, even though that character is the same, 
your gifts will differ from somebody else's. And when Jesus is being Jesus in you, you're going to see mercy. You're going to see serving. You're going to see exhortation. You're going to see teaching. You're going to see all the different aspects of everything He did on this earth being manifest in His body. Now listen to me before we go any further. When you walk outside the church property, at that moment, you're responsible to do what all the gifts are about. Because the giver lives in you and will manifest and enable you to do it. You're commanded to show, to be, show mercy. You're commanded to do all these things. But the gifts have their function within the body of Christ. So that the entity that lives in the body can be made manifest and clearly revealed to everyone who's around. We're not here to reveal Southern Baptist. Dear Lord, help us. We're not here to, to, to reveal Woodland Park Baptist Church. We're here for one reason. Each of us surrendered to Christ, allowing all of our gifts to function so that Christ in us might be seen in the city of Chattanooga. Period. That's what we're here. And that's what we're all about. So when you leave today, remember it all starts with surrender. And if you're surrendered, your gift's already functioning whether you know what it is or not. So if you never understand what it is, don't worry about it because it's already moving because the giver is moving and working in your life. However, it helps you to know what it is. So sometimes those choices can be narrowed to the areas inside the body of Christ. God has specifically gifted you to function. Essentials to understanding spiritual gifts. We may never get to spiritual gifts. Maybe we need to have a revival before we get to verse 7 or 8. And people's hearts get so tender towards the character of God that they're just willing to be grateful just to be a part of whatever he's doing. Then spiritual gifts can make sense. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity this morning as we wade in. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful way in which Paul lays the groundwork for understanding what gifts are all about. Father, we thank you that it all starts with, with knowing you as we sung earlier. As we daily learn to decrease so that you might increase in our lives. As we daily are overwhelmed with the message of grace, why in the world would you ever fool with anybody like us? Thank you, Father. And Father, I pray that this might be the motivation of each of us as we approach this study. Just so grateful to be a part of whatever it is you're doing. And Lord, may we never forget it's not the gift, it's the giver. Without the giver, the gift would mean absolutely nothing. You are the one who empowers the gift you are the one who causes the effect. We're not. May we take our hands off of it. May we let you be who you are in and through us. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? The question this morning is not what gift you have or don't have. The question is, are you surrendered to the giver? The question is, are you living daily, allowing his spirit to express that impeccable character of love that he has placed within you in the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ's spirit? Are you living that way? Jesus being Jesus in you? Then when it comes to spiritual gifts, there shouldn't be a problem at all. Accepting scripture, accepting truth, there should be no problem if we're surrendered to the one who is the giver. Understanding that his character is consistent, but his ways are varied. He does what he does. None of us, he'll share his glory with no man. He does it for his own eternal purposes. Our altar is open if you'd like to come and just find a place and say, Lord, forgive me for having so many questions about gifts and not even stopping to realize, first of all, I've got to be surrendered to the giver. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're ready to fight over a particular gift already and you realize that whole attitude 
denies the very character of the Lord Jesus living in you. Maybe that's where you need to start. Tim's going to lead us. You just do as the Holy Spirit of God speaks. You might be here and not a, not a Christian. You've joined the church but have never been born from above and you need to come. Whatever. Let's let God speak to your heart. Jesus be Jesus in me. Let's just sing that with Tim with our heads bowed and eyes closed. No as a prayer that when we walk out of here we would learn through experience and other things to decrease so that you might increase in us and so that people when they look at us do not see us in our petty opinions but father may they see you and the love that you manifest through us may they be touched by your very presence by being around us because you live in us we love you we praise you and we thank you in Jesus name amen well, tonight at 7 o'clock, if you can come back. <laughs> you know, the crowd got better. When we started, I, th I thought it was going to be me and Haywood. But me and Haywood and about three more. But, but if you come back tonight at 7 o'clock, we're going to do the Church of Philadelphia. And uh, we only have one more Sunday, which next Sunday really is going to be Laodicea. But that's gonna, I'm going to use that as an introduction into our Following God series that we're going to be doing this fall. So next Sunday, the 13th, starts the brand new everything. Sunday nights at 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock will be our School of Discipleship. From 7.15 to 8.15 will be our evening service that many of you would want to respond to. If you'd like to do the course following God, you just see anyone around that they can help you get the manuals because that's part of our School of Discipleship. You'll study for one hour in that, and then you'll come in here, and I'll be teaching on what you studied that first hour. So those of you that want to get a little deeper in that, you're welcome to join, join us in, the, in that particular area. There's a little brochure out there on the table the, in the foyer that talks about all the different classes that are offered, so we hope you'll make yourself available to them. Again, tonight at 7 o'clock, if God wants you here, I hope you'll be here. If He doesn't want you here, you pray for us that are here. We'll pray for you wherever you are. Whatever it is, just be where God wants you to be tonight at 7 o'clock. Tim? Join hands and let's sing together again. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but Thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus. Thank you, Nina. Father, thank you so much for the marvelous display of that wonderful love when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for us. We thank you, Father, for reminding us that you didn't die for good people, but for sinners. Thank you, oh God, for loving us like you love us. And now, Father, as we come to the Word, I pray that you would just manifest that same love in us and through us. Even as we speak, Father, may the love produced by the Holy Spirit wrap itself around the words that are said. And Father, as I seek to teach, may I be taught. 
May we leave this place having met with you in your word, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking today at verses 4, 5, and 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. And I want to entitle this, Essentials to the Understanding of Spiritual Gifts. Essentials to the Understanding of Spiritual Gifts. Now, one of the friends that I have and you have is Scott Brown. I love his precious family. Scott needed to know some essentials of my bass boat many months ago before he got in that boat. Now, to understand this, God made available to me several years ago by a very gracious individual, and I've never known who it is, a bass boat. And I have enjoyed that bass boat. I want you to know not as much as I would like to have enjoyed it, but I have fully enjoyed it. But from time to time, Scott would come in. He loves to bass fish, and he borrowed my boat. And I said, now, Scott, there's something you need to know before you take my boat out. What is that, Wayne? My boat pulls to the right. When I first got it, I was out in deep water, and they lowered the water out on the lake, TBA lakes out here, Chickamauga. And, and I got, got into shallow water, and I knocked the little small fin off the bottom of that motor. Now, that little fin causes that boat to be level and to go the way it's supposed to go. Now, when that thing was broken off, that boat starts torquing or pulling to the right. Now, you have to know that. That is essential when you're driving that boat. That boat will do 60 miles an hour. Well, Scott, I thought, understood that main essential. Before you use Wayne's boat, understand this. It pulls to the right. Going down the lake, 60 miles an hour, had his brother-in-law with him, had his right hand holding that motor where it ought to be by the steering wheel, but causing the motor to be where it ought to be because it did pull to the right. They got to having a good time. His hat blew off. Scott forgot that essential. And with his right hand, reached up to grab his hat. At 60 miles an hour, that boat turned right. Now that's interesting. You try it sometime. Get in a boat, 60 miles an hour, have it turn right on you. His brother-in-law was in the boat, down from down, visiting from down in Florida. It threw Fred 40-some yards from the boat. It threw Scott into the other side of the boat and knocked him out cold. It's important to remember certain essentials before you do some things in life. Now, Scott now knows. I guarantee you, when Scott goes now, I guarantee you he'll have his hands cemented to that steering wheel because he knows it pulls to the right. You have to allow for that if you're going to drive the boat. You have to know that essential. And what the Apostle Paul does in verses 4, 5, and 6 is to show us some essentials that a person must master and understand before he ever gets into the discussion of spiritual gifts. You've got to get these things down. Now, let's go back and review just for a second because we want to get in the flow now, the current of this stream that we've been in. There's no question that the church at Corinth has chosen to not surrender to the word they fully understood and knew. They'd been well taught. This is a well taught church. But they were a church that had it in their heads and it wasn't in their heart. As a result of this, they ended up with a distorted view of spiritual matters. They literally were spiritually ignorant. They could not carry on an intelligent conversation about spiritual matters, much less spiritual gifts. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now Paul is once again unearthing their spiritual immaturity. And the first thing he points to is their, their ignorance of spiritual matters. 
The word gifts does not appear in the verse. As we've already studied, it means spiritual things, spiritual matters. Your ignorance of spiritual matters. I don't want you, it's in the present tense. I don't want you to keep on going on being spiritual ignoramuses when it comes to spiritual matters. And as I said last week, the word ignoramus comes from the little word unaware. So I'm not just saying that to be funny. That's an actual word that comes right out of this word. I don't want you to live spiritually ignorant of spiritual matters. But also, their unwillingness to surrender to Christ, their unwillingness to live up under truth that they already knew had caused them to be living up under the influence of a pagan past. Now, anytime you're not living under the influence of the Spirit, you're living under the influence of the flesh. And flesh is programmed by a pagan past. <laughs> Don't give it half a chance. It'll do whatever it is. I mean, it's wicked, and that's why one day we're going to get a glorified body. Our flesh carries in it the tendency to pull us back to our pagan past. Now, there's one particular part of their pagan past that Paul identifies. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He could have picked out immorality. He could have picked out all kinds of things. But he only picked one, and that's their idolatry. He says in verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. There's something about the idolatry of the people at Corinth when they were pagans, that somehow it infiltrated their very presence now as believers within the church. It had to have been. Now, it's even more narrow than just the idols. It had to have been the Delphic Oracle that was going on several miles from the city. It was a very uh, interesting how close, really, the, I say several, it was just a few miles from the city. It was a very close proximity to Corinth was the city of Delphi. And an oracle was a woman who would go into the temple of Apollo, the pagan temple there, go into the shrine where they, where they would sort of like, you know, the devil only tries to copy what God does. It would be like their holy of holies, although it wasn't holy. It was a very pagan place. But she would go in there and in a time of ecstasy, in a time of extreme emotion, would begin to speak in a gibberish, in an ecstatic tongue. People would come from all around. You say, well, Wayne, why would they do that? Well, I said last week, you just noticed that people... In today's time, do you read your horoscope? I hope not. I hope you're walking with God and don't fool that kind of stuff. But people do it. What is the lure that makes people do it? What is the lure that makes people pick up a phone and call a psychic hotline? Come on. But people do it. And they call themselves Christians. And the same thing was going on right there in Corinth, except these were pagan people. They were under the lure of this way to get a message from a divine being. Although it wasn't divine, it was demonic. They thought it was divine. So every time the woman, the oracle, they had three of them in the peak of when this letter was written, when they, when they would get a message from the gods, they would speak, and it would just be gibberish, just be an ecstatic tongue. Somehow that got back into the church of Corinth. And somehow when they would speak in this gibberish, a language nobody had ever heard, nobody could interpret, they would say they were influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul has to jump right in the middle with both feet and clear up the matter. And he nails the third characteristic of spiritual immaturity and that is inexcusable speaking when a person stands and says he's under the influence of the holy spirit of god there are three basic rules that he's that you've got to adhere to number one is found right there in verse three the first one is when the holy spirit speaks he speaks in an intelligible language he speaks in that which can be understood he does not choose a language you cannot understand it says in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says. Now the two words he uses here and puts them together beautifully. 
The word speaking is the word laleo in its original form. It really carries the idea of just making a noise. But here the making of the noise is saying something or communicating to somebody. Any sound which somebody makes to speak to another, to communicate or whatever, that sound influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's the key. Then the next word he uses here, he says says. Anyone speaking by or in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, says. The word says is lego. Lego is a different word. Lego comes from the word logos. And logos is always the intelligent, understandable word and language of God. God has always spoken in language his people can understand. So when somebody stands to say, listen, I'm under the influence of the Spirit of God. He cannot in any way, shape, or form speak a gibberish or a language which cannot be understood. The Spirit of God does not speak that way. The Spirit of God speaks intelligently. He speaks in a manner which you can understand because he's seeking to communicate something to your heart. That's the first rule. Now that automatically dealt with one group of what was going on, people that, that were there at the church. The second thing here is that when the Holy Spirit influences one to speak, the truth will always be presented. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. Now when I first read that, I, used, I thought that somebody was getting up speaking in another known language that he didn't know, but the other, somebody else might, and he was saying Jesus is accursed. And he didn't realize that he was saying this thinking it was un, under the influence of the Spirit of God. Now that could have been going on, but I don't think that's what Paul is talking about now, having studied a little, a little bit more fully. Matter of fact, that can happen. I've heard of it happening. I have a friend of mine who was in a class, a classmate with a brilliant fellow who memorized the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew. He went to a group that was meeting who was into this ecstatic speaking, this gibberish, this, this tongue that nobody can ever understand, that has no language to it, has no means of communicating to anybody. And he got up and quoted the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew. When he finished, somebody got up and interpreted it. It had nothing to do with the 23rd Psalm. That can't happen. That can't happen. But I don't think that's what he's speaking of here. How, if it was, the people wouldn't know what he's talking about. If they didn't know they were saying Jesus is accursed, then how could they relate to what Paul was saying? I think he's saying something else. I think there's another group speaking in the church, not only these over here. I'm influenced by the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in an unknown tongue. I'm speaking in a gibberish. No, that's one group. But there's another group, perhaps the Jews in the area. The word accursed means given over to the curse for the purpose of destruction, which every man born of Adam on this earth is, except the Lord Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, and of course conceived in the Holy Spirit of God. You see, he, he, he was not born having to, to live out. He took the sin upon us. He took our sins upon himself. But he had no sin within him. There was no way. He was not corruptible. And so somebody was coming into the church saying Jesus was just a mere man like the rest of us and given over to destruction. And that was a great error. They were, they were denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody speaks under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, truth will be presented. There will be no error, especially in concerning Christ. be no error at all, but it will focus on Christ as we see in the next one. The third guideline when somebody speaks under the influence of the Spirit of God is that the, Christ will always be presented and revealed and he will be presented as Lord. He'll always be revealed as Lord. Verse 3, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now he uses the aorist tense. Aorist tense points back to individual times and particularly that one time. Nobody at, 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 at one time, just one time. 
can say Jesus is Lord except it be the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. He points back to salvation. He said, when you stood and confessed Jesus to be your Lord and received him into your heart, you didn't do that because your mind came up with it. You did it because the Holy Spirit of God wooed you and revealed to you who Christ was. When the, when the Spirit speaks, Christ is presented. The Spirit does not speak of himself. The Spirit lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ and he presents him as Lord. Now this is very helpful and begins to set a foundation even before we get to our today's message. Paul in chapter 12 shows these three characteristics of spiritual immaturity. You're going to have those things when you're not living surrendered to God, having your mind renewed by the Word of God and your life transformed by the Spirit of God. If you're following after the flesh, you'll end up just like the Corinthians. But in chapter 12, Paul does more than just explain and clear up spiritual gifts. He also does something else. He reveals the depths of the character of God. And it's so important to look at the giver, not just the gift. And that leads me to my first point. So look at verse 4. The first thing we want to see today, and the first and foremost, essential in understanding spiritual gifts is that we must look at the focus of spiritual gifts. We have to, to have our focus right when it comes to spiritual gifts. You see, when you live with a fleshly mindset, you have a different focus. The focus of flesh is me, mine, I. In other words, if you put it in the context of spiritual gifts, if you're walking after the flesh, you're more interested in your gift or your lack of gifts than you are the giver of those gifts. You're never focused on the giver. You're focused on the gift itself. The Apostle Paul, though, had a different view, had a different perspective. His perspective was not on the gift. His perspective was on the giver of those gifts. Matter of fact, why talk about gifts if we don't have a proper understanding of the giver? If we're not living surrendered to the giver, why in the world talk about gifts? You see the problem that Paul had? He's dealing with a church that cared less about the giver. And that's why they were so distorted when it came to spiritual gifts. When you're not focused on the giver of the gifts, upon his character, upon his love, upon his precious grace, upon his divine and sovereign purpose in our lives, then easily you can become distorted in spiritual things. Not only spiritual gifts, but ministry. Your whole concept of ministry is different when you're not focused on the giver. And not only ministry, but your whole concept is different when it comes to the effects of ministry. It's incredible what flesh will do, even to try to produce effects that only the Spirit of God can produce. You can get totally upside down in the subject of spiritual gifts if your focus is not the giver of those gifts. You see, we can become jealous of people who have gifts that we do not have. We can become jealous of ministries that we do not have. We can become jealous of effects that others have in this, and they're doing the same thing we're doing, but the effects of the, that they're having are greater than the effects that we're having. And I'll never forget the time I was over in South Africa and and I was speaking with Bill Stafford, and I got up to speak, and I prayed. And I was in the Word, and I felt like I taught it correctly, and I felt like the Spirit of God was, in, was, was just in charge of the time. But when I finished, the people looked at me like a calf at a new gate. I mean, like, do what? Bill gets up next and preaches. And when Bill preached, I thought, well, I've covered already. I've already pointed. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to move. People got saved. People got broken. I'm thinking, and I walked out of that meeting, seriously, I walked out of that meeting upset with God. God, why didn't you let that happen when I preached? Why did you let that happen when Bill preached? Friend, I want to tell you something. If your focus is not on the giver, this is the kind of distorted life that you live. 
Why didn't I get that gift? How come I don't have that ministry? How come the effects when I do something are not the same effects when somebody else does it? This is the distortion of the Corinthian church. This is why Paul does not start with the gift. He starts with the giver. You've got to have that nailed down in your theology, nailed down in your life and your philosophy, nailed down in your walk with God. You've got to have the impeccable character of the giver and be in your heart, in your mind, and be surrendered to him regardless before you can even approach the study of spiritual gift. Now notice the word same in verse 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4 says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all. The, same, the word same there is the word oftos, which normally means self, it's a pronoun, her, or him, or it. But when it has a definite article behind it, it means same, as it does here. It's translated same. The word same is used for the Holy Spirit in verse 4. It's the same Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. In verse 5, it's the same Lord Jesus that gives us the ministry that we enjoy. Now, any time the term Lord is used in the New Testament, it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it's the same God the Father that gives the effects of these gifts. How do you know it's God the Father? When the Trinity is being talked about as it is in these three verses, and the word God is in the mix, and the definite articles before the word God, it refers to God the Father. And so it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same Lord Jesus. It's the same Father you see, and what the sameness of God is so critical that we understand what Paul is doing here. By using the word same, he's identifying something. He's identifying the giver. He's identifying the unchangeable character of the giver. Now, we've got to see this. God doesn't do anything out of jealousy or spite. He doesn't uh, simply push one person aside to do something for somebody else. You've got to understand who we're dealing with here. The same Holy Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God, the Father. If you can't trust the unchangeable, impeccable character of God, then when it comes to spiritual gifts, you're going to be totally upside down. You won't understand what is and what isn't. Paul, in referring to the sameness of God, is doing the same thing James did in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says in James 1, verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every good, perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow. You see, when you're dealing with the character of God, it's impeccable. No one can question it. Oh, everything God does is wrapped around who He is. He's a God of love. He's a God of purpose. He's a God that knows what's best for us. And so that's the impeccable character of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Paul is doing the same thing the author of Hebrews did, Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here comes the, the difference in how you may understand what I'm saying. You have to understand the sameness of God. The fact that God is always consistent when it comes to his character. But in understanding that, you also have to understand that his ways are as varied as you can possibly imagine. He doesn't do the same thing a second time unless somehow it fits his eternal purpose. I hear people all the time say, oh God, give us another Pentecost. And God would shout back from heaven, why do you want another one? Live out of the one you have. This is God. 
His character is impeccable, but his ways are as varied as we are today. Now, you've got to marry those two thoughts together before you get over to the area of spiritual gifts. Don't touch them until you get somehow nailed down that the character of God is good, it's consistent, and everything he does is good, acceptable, and perfect. And God always has eternal purposes in his mind. God always works with redemptive heart, with a redemptive heart. But one person prays for healing, and he's healed. Another person prays for healing, and he dies. Does that, does that in any way become an affront to his character? No, because he never changes in his character. But does that show us that we, under, we don't understand the ways of God? Yes, it does. No man can figure out the way God does. He'll have Paul circumcise one man as he travels. He'll have him not do it to another man. Because God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. You say, Wayne, where are you going with all this? Look at the verses. He contrasts two words in verse 4, 5, and 6. He contrasts in verse 4 the word same with the word variety. In verse 5, the word same and the word variety. Verse 6, the word same and the word variety. Now, if you have a King James Version, you're going to be very troubled because your version changes the word in each verse. But I hate to tell you, go back and do your homework. In the Greek, it's the same word all three times. That's why I appreciate the New American Standard. It nails it. One, two, three. Varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects, but the same Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God the Father. Now, again, his character never changes. It's consistent. It's the same. Anytime you come to him, whether you've sinned, failed, or anything else, he's the same God that he's always been. He does not change in his character, his mercy, his grace, his principle, who he is, and his purpose. But he does change in the way that he works in people's lives. It's not the same from one to another. We look at verse 11. Matter of fact, it, it really nails this. He says in verse 11 of chapter 12, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each, each one individually. How? Just as He wills. Now, let's get into this just a little bit. What in the world does this word variety mean? Well, the word variety there is the word that means not just the difference of the gifts. And that's one of the first things that we do. We think the word variety stands for the differences of our gifts. No, it has to do, the word comes from the word meaning to divide, and it has to do with the meaning of how he distributes his gifts. <laughs> In other words, he does not distribute his gifts evenly, though his character is even. It's consistent. It never changes. Now, if that is somehow not nailed down, before you even get into the subject of gifts, do you see the problem you're going to run into? The flesh is going to cause all kinds of, of confusion. Well, wait a minute. How come I didn't get the gift? He's no better than I am. <laughs> oh, man, I, don't you go through this. You see some people and you're around them for a while and you realize they're imperfect. Boy, doesn't that shock you? And then you see them in ministry and you see God just blowing the doors off of what he's doing in their ministry and you come before God and say, God! How come you're doing it in them? You know that I'm a whole lot better than them. <laughs> and boy, God so clearly speaks back and says, who in the world do you think you are? I do what I do. Don't you dare question me. And remember, my character is impeccable. I'm the same. I'm always the same. 
But what I do, you may not sense that you understand because my ways are as varied as you could possibly know. You see, you've got to get your focus on the giver and not on the gift. What in the world is the gift worth anything if you don't understand the giver? To understand his grace, to understand what he's done in your life. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saved, isn't that enough? And yet we've got churches splitting in this city right now over the topic of spiritual gifts. Why in the world would a gift split anybody? Look at the giver. He unites. He does not divide. It's amazing. So get your focus on the giver. Get it on the giver. This is an essential. If you're going to study spiritual gifts, listen, you're going to get over into an area and realize what you don't have. And suddenly you're going to begin to feel like, well, I deserve it more than, and see, get all that out of your mind. We don't deserve anything. We deserve hell. Anything less than hell is pure grace. So let's look at the giver who's impeccable in his character, impeccable in his love, impeccable in what he does as we contrast that with the varied ways in which he works unevenly in the lives of his people for his eternal purpose. Matter of fact, take a little test. This, this, this past year, this past year, now seriously, this past year, has, have you had a problem with somebody in the body of Christ because they're more gifted and talented than you are? Have you had a problem with that, wondering why you were like you are and they are like they are? Anybody in here besides me had a problem with that this past year? <laughs> have you had a problem this past year, those of us that minister, you know? <laughs> those of us who have ministries. Well, we love to call something a ministry that God may call a farce, but we like to call it ministry. Have you had trouble sometimes wondering where, the, where that ministry is, is so small compared to others whose ministry is so large? Or have you had a problem this past year wondering about the effects? You did it the same way somebody else did it. You know, it's interesting that Peter preached a sermon and 2,000 were converted or 3,000. Stephen preached the same sermon. They stoned him to death. Character of God's consistent. It's impeccable. Don't you question his character. But when it comes to his ways, they're as varied as we are. That's the first thing. The focus is not the gift. The focus is the giver. And if your focus is the gift, you are already causing a problem in the, bottom of, uh, in the body of Christ. If your focus is the gift, you're causing a problem. If your focus is the giver, that's a different matter. Because he has brought humility in your life. He has brought gratitude in your life. He has broken you of that old arrogance and pride. And now you're just simply saying, Oh God, thank you for letting me be a part of what you're up to. I don't deserve anything but you. Get your focus right before we get into the subject of gifts. Secondly, the fabric of spiritual gifts. Now, this came to my mind as I was studying it, and I know I have a weird mind. But as I was studying it, I thought about this perhaps might be a way of helping you to realize what we're dealing with. The fabric, the fabric of spiritual gifts. In verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the same Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. And his character, obviously, again, he's God. He's impeccable. And for the sake of illustration, and it never quite fully illustrates anything when you use a tangible illustration, but let's just look at him as the fabric of the spiritual gifts, the fabric. Because all these gifts come from the same Spirit. So he's the initiator of all of it, okay? He's the fabric of these gifts. The word for gifts in verse 4 is the word charisma or charisma. Charis means grace. And the word ma at the end of it means the result of God's grace. Now, we need to look at that for a second. It's referring to the gift itself. The gift that we have is a total result of the grace that God has extended towards us. Now, 
This, this, this answers immediately a basic question. And that question is, when do we get spiritual gifts? Are we born with them? No, you're born from above with them. That's the difference. There's two births in a believer's life. He's born physically, he's born spiritually. That's why you can't join Jesus. You have to be born from above. And when you're born from above, the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, comes to live in you. He's the embodiment of grace. And as he comes to live in you, he comes bearing gifts. And that's when you receive a spiritual gift. So it shows you that a spiritual gift and a talent are, are different. Man, I could speak before I was ever, I don't think I was going to say born. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I could move a lot, my mother said. But I could speak. When I, when I was born, I came out talking. And before I ever knew the Lord Jesus, had nothing to do with grace, except that everything that God gives us is really grace, if you want to be general with it. But in the narrow context of spiritual gifts, it had nothing to do with that. I remember I was in a speech class in college, and I had to do an impromptu speech one morning. The next morning, I had forgotten about it, gone to bed late, got up late five minutes before the class, walking out, dawned on me that I was supposed to give a speech that day. Well, I looked over and saw my roommate had an iron so I grabbed the iron, never used an iron in my life, and don't intend to start now. I picked up that iron, and I saw a little bottle of cleanser. I don't know what it was. could have been glass cleanser for all I know, and I picked it up. And I walked into class, and they called my name to give the speech. I got up, and I gave a 30-minute presentation impromptu on how to clean an iron. And I've never cleaned an iron in my life. And I used whatever cleanser, and hey, by the way, it worked. And I, I got that thing clean. And I had to screw, I mean, I did all, all the things you're supposed to do. When, and I went over and sat down. The teacher looked at me. Everybody in the class was awed. They clapped. They said, it's great, Barbara. That's great. And the teacher said, would you like to know what your grade is? I said, yes. She said, it's a zero. I said, why? She said, you have never cleaned an iron in your life. That is not the way you clean an iron. I knew that the moment you stood up. <laughs> I could talk a long time ago. But when it comes to spiritual gifts that have to do with speaking, that has to come from God. It's something different. Does he throw away your talents? No. He just fills them up and wraps himself around them. But the spiritual gifts come at the moment you're saved. If you're saved today, you have gifts. You have the Spirit of God living in you, the gift. And when he came to live in you, he came bearing gifts. You're a gifted member of the body of Christ. Now this brings us back to the character that Paul pointed out earlier. The word grace is a precious word. You've got to see it. People say oh, it means undeserved favor. Yes, it does. But we usually look at grace as if it's something God does for us. That's the way we look at grace. And that's true. It is. But it's more than that. It's who God is before he ever does anything for us. It's the disposition of God. The word had its, had, its, had, its, had its growth. It began when you want to talk about somebody beautiful. It wasn't outwardly. It was inwardly. Somebody who was inwardly in their disposition a precious, beautiful person, that was a beautiful, it didn't matter what they looked like on the outside, it was what they were on the inside, kind of like what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3. But then the word began to grow, it had to do with a person who's beautiful in their disposition, is a person who gives. And that was a giving person is always a beautiful person. Anyone who's beautiful inwardly is going to give to others. But then it took another meaning, it came to have the meaning that someone who's beautiful inwardly, who has the precious heart inwardly, that gives, will always give, but they'll usually give to people who can never pay them back and who never deserve it. And that's how the word grace came to be understood. You see, grace is far more than what he does for us. Grace is who he is. Grace is who he is. So when we receive grace, the one 
who loves us when we don't deserve to be loved. The one who came and paid a debt he didn't owe. When we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And when we received him into our life, he came in bearing something else we don't deserve. He brought gifts because he wants us to be a part of what he's up to down here. He wants us to be in the flow of what he's doing on this earth. That's incredible. But he is the fabric of all of those gifts that live within us. He's the same. His character is the same. That's why when the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, it's the very character that's consistent, always unchangeable of the Lord Jesus being in us. And 1 Corinthians 13 beautifully brings out that character that is unchangeable that is presented when the Holy Spirit of God is, is moving within us. However, when He comes in, His ways are varied, as we said earlier. And this causes the fabric, which is one fabric, to be multicolored. In other words, we don't all fit in the same place. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. This, hit, this is where the idea, the fabric of this, of this grace, the fabric of the gifts came to me. 1 Peter 4.10. Peter's talking about spiritual gifts. And I want you to see what he says here. He uses a word that just made my mind go into to orbit. 1 Peter 4.10. Peter writing to these persecuted believers of Asia Minor says, As one has received a special gift, and all gifts are special, employ it in serving one another. That's what the gifts are for, and we'll see that later on. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, you know what the word manifold is? The word manifold is pikilos. It means multicolored, and that's where the idea came to me. The Holy Spirit of God is the main fabric of all the, the gifts. However, it's multicolored. I might be over here in the red section. You might be over in the blue section. Somebody else might be over in the purple section. But your gift fits in a certain place. And all of the gifts that we have work together to reveal the entity that gives them. See, that's what the whole thing, the body of Christ is universal. It's not just Woodland Park Baptist Church. It's all over this world. It's, it's not denominational. There are Catholics that know the Lord Jesus. There are all kinds of people of other denominations that know the Lord Jesus. That's the body of Christ. And when they receive Christ, they receive gifts. And those gifts are multicolored. It's the same spirit that gives them. Same spirit lives in them, lives in me. But they're multicolored, multifaceted, you see. And so therefore, there's, there's the diversity of the body. God working unevenly. Maybe you've got a little shade of blue. Somebody else got a big shade of blue. But whatever it is that God gave you, He gave it to you. And you didn't deserve any of it. And when you put it all together, it begins to make the most beautiful picture of the entity of the one who lives within us. That's what a body's for. When I think of my son, Stephen, I miss him. I do. I just miss him. I saying his name brings a tender something to my heart. When I think of Stephen, I think of that gangly rascal, all arms and legs, a mouth, when he smiles, reaches from earlobe to earlobe. And those big old teeth, I can just see him smile right now. And it always melts me when he smiles like that. When he laughs, he laughs with his whole body. You've ever seen somebody do that? Just last time, I mean, he shakes all over. He really enjoys a laugh. But you see, one day Stephen will go on to be with the Lord and that body will fall to the ground. So there's an entity that lives in that body. That body is to bring visibility to the entity that lives within it. Gifts are never to pump you and me up. Gifts are never for us to say, look at me. Gifts! Or to reveal the person of Christ that lives within us. That's what the body is for. He, the fabric is within us. And that fabric needs to be revealed. But it will be revealed in different shades, in different colors, in different ways. And then it, when it all comes together, the picture is clear 
as a bell. We're not in this town to reveal what Southern Baptists can be. God help us. We're not here in this town to reveal what we can do for you. We're in this town to be the, the vessels through which Jesus is revealed to this area. And he has given us gifts by which he can be revealed. But it's different from person to person. That's why everybody needs to live surrendered so that Christ can be clearly seen. Oh, man. Some of you are looking at me like a calf in a new game. <laughs> you know, we have people come to our church from time to time. I'm, I'm starting my 18th year in a few weeks. And... Uh, it's been kind of funny to watch this. Years ago, a fellow told me this, so I don't know it for firsthand. He said it happened right here in this church. Somebody came in and said, you know, I don't like this church. <laughs> that happens quite frequently. I have people tell me that all the time, and I'm thinking to myself, well, why don't you go somewhere else? I mean, I, you know, I don't remember coming to your door and beating it down and begging you to come. If you don't like it, go someplace else. But anyway, he came in and said he didn't like it. And I said, why don't you like it? He said, the preacher never visits. <laughs> it's true, I don't. Kind of hard to commute from out of state. But anyway, I don't visit. I don't make phone calls and write letters to everybody that comes to our church. He said, I don't like that. He said, that's not the character of Christ in that preacher. Careful, careful. The character of Christ is love. And that love's going to be manifested specifically through the gifts that God has given to you. Don't you ever tell me that I don't love you because I didn't visit you in the hospital. Friend, I'm loving you by spending the time I spend in God's Word because my gift is my way of manifesting Him and that's the, the way He specifically has designed me and that's the color I have on the fabric. Be careful. Be careful. And this guy was complaining and the friend that he was talking to walked with the Lord and understood. 1 Corinthians 12. You know what he said back to him? He said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the fact, do you really think that's a need in this church? He said, absolutely. He said, is it really burdening you when you pray? He said, oh, man, I can't get over it. He said, well, did you ever stop to think that that's the color? I would say it this way. He didn't say it this way. That's the gift that God has given you in the area and the, and the ministry that God wants you to have. Do you ever realize that God didn't send you here to find out all of our mistakes? He sent you here to be the solution, not the problem. Why don't you start doing that for us? And you know, a friend that told me this looked at him and said, he looked at him and said, I have never heard that before in my life. That makes more sense than just about anything I've ever heard. It's amazing the, the, the way the Bible will clear up all this stuff. But see, the church of Corinth didn't understand that. They didn't, give, they didn't care about God's word. They didn't care about God that lived in them. They lived upside down, fleshly minded lives. All they were concerned about is me, mine, and I. That's why Paul has got to shift gears on them, get them back on the giver, and make sure they understand the fabric of those gifts is the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit. He's God. His character never changes. But the way he works is going to be in different shades and different colors and different people's lives. The same Spirit gives the gifts, but they do not all look alike, nor are they dispensed equally. My wife and I were visiting one day. Diana has the gift of mercy. Matter of fact, the family calls her the mother of the world. Diana sees somebody suffering. She's scared to death what I'm going to say right now. She sees somebody suffering, and immediately she suffers with you. You die, she dies. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's been that way since I have known her. We walked into a hospital room one day. <laughs> Lady's name, I can't remember. I think it's Miss Cass or something like that. We walked in, and as we walked in, she started moaning. Oh, come on, man, I saw that. She wasn't moaning before we walked in the room. She just started moaning when we walked in it. My gift doesn't quite work like Diana's gift. 
I walked over to the bed, and Diana's already sensing the fact that my steps have intensified. And I walked over, and I said, come on, miss. What are you griping about? Man, the Lord lives in you, and you're getting better. The doctor already said. Oh, and Diana's going, no, 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 don't do that. Diana gets her little pillow and puffs it up around her head. Pats her on the cheek. Are you okay? Gets her a little glass of water, puts a straw in there. I'm thinking, don't do that. That's what she wants you to do. She's playing this thing for as far as it'll go. Come on, let's get exhorted. Get up out of this bed and let's go home. <laughs> we got out in the hall. Dinah's so precious. We got out in the hall and Dinah said, I would have never said that to that woman. And I said, you know what? I would have never done what you did. But then we got to laughing. But you know, I think she needed both of them. Isn't it amazing how gifts work together? So when I need to show mercy, let me go with Diana because she's going to help me. I'm going to put her in front of me and whatever she does, I'll follow her lead. But when somebody needs to be jacked up a little bit, motivated, you put me in front. And so that's the way we can work together as a team. That's the way the gifts in the body are. You've been wondering why I'm the way I am and you're the way you are? Come on, get your eye back on the giver and remember he doesn't work evenly in everybody's life. And what he didn't give me and gave you because you're so spiritual doesn't mean that you're any better than I am. It just simply means we have different functions in the body of Christ. Same fabric, same fabric, same giver, but differences in those gifts. Eddie will never forget when I came to visit him in the emergency room. Now, will you, Eddie? Eddie was hurting. Eddie's the only person I've ever known who's been down in the pit. <laughs> if Eddie had been doing what he's supposed to have been doing, he wouldn't have been down in the pit. And I go to see him. I hear he's about to have emergency surgery. I mean, it could have killed him. If it fell on his head, it had been okay. But he fell on his arm and got it, it really messed him up. And so I went running down. <laughs> I walked in the room and Eddie said, Wayne, don't make me laugh. I'm hurting too bad. <laughs> I said, Eddie, not me. Not me with the gift of mercy. Are you kidding? I said, Eddie, but there's one question I've got to ask you. We were studying the book of the Revelation back then, way back yonder. And we were, st we were talking about those locusts that come up out of the pit. <laughs> and I said, Eddie, I've got to ask you one question because you're the only person I know that's ever been in the pit. Were there any locusts down there? Actually, I was asking about the Apache helicopters. I said, any Apache helicopters? Because some people write in books that they, those locusts are Apache helicopters. Well, my problem with that whole thinking is if the Apache helicopters come out of the pit, how'd they get in the pit? So I want to know if there's any down there. He said, oh, don't. and about that time, a big old meaty hand of this nurse that looked like some of the blind dates I had in college reaches out and grabs me and says, get out of here. And I had to leave. Oh, I wish Brother Wade would come visit me in the hospital. I don't think so. <laughs> Ask Sherry Lundy when you had that, that thing that was in your side, and I went to see Sherry, and Sherry's sitting there, and I walked in the door, and she said, oh, dear Lord, the last rites, I'm dying. Wayne's here. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's wrong with you, preacher? I don't know. Ask God. He works differently in people's lives. It's the same God. Don't ever tell me I don't love you because I don't do what you would have done if you were me in that situation. You let me be who God created me to be, and I guarantee you I'll let you be who God created you to be. I don't follow you around. I don't check who's here on every Sunday morning. You know why? Because we preach the freedom under grace that you be where God wants you to be, and you be what God wants you to be. Character of God is impeccable. If that love is not there, you forget talking about the gifts. You don't know what you're talking about. Just shut up and leave it alone. But if that love is manifested in your life, friend, you've got a handle on something. That's God in you. And God will manifest his presence through you in a way that won't be like anybody else. Because you're a different color on the fabric. And when it comes together, the picture is clear as to what's being presented. I think about it as a 
Got to quit too. 11 seconds. <laughs> I think about it at work in a jigsaw puzzle. I invented 101 ways of wasting time. My mother helped me with one of them, that's working a jigsaw puzzle. If you're ever just bored to tears, it's I'm really seriously, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's old folk stuff. It's kind of like hearing aid batteries. I mean, it fits in that category somewhere. But when you're ever working, when I started doing it years ago, my mom, when I was growing up, I had a lot of bronchitis, and, but she wouldn't let me go out when it was snowing. I was in Virginia. So she'd buy a big puzzle. We'd all sit around the table. You know how many hours it'd take you to work that puzzle? But one thing I learned from her is that you take all the colors and you put them together. That's one of the first things I learned. They're bright. You put the bright ones. If they're dark, you put them over here. But after a while, when you start putting all those little pieces together and following that color scheme, there's a picture that begins to emerge. It's amazing. And when you finish, it's clear as a bell why this picture, this piece of the puzzle was dark and this picture was light and this picture was something else. This piece, because it all played a role in making the picture that was on the puzzle become visible to everybody. That's what gifts are for. They're for inside the body and they're to minister to one another. We'll see that in the next verse. But they're from the same spirit that lives within you. We sing, Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me, but the resurrection power fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. How do you think he's going to be himself in you? First of all, by the fruit of the spirit, which you cannot fake in any way, which is his love produced, because that's his character that's impeccable. But secondly, he will be framed through the gifts that he has given you, which are motivated to serve others, not yourself. And that's what spiritual gifts are all about. They bring visibility to the entity that lives within us. Essentials to understanding spiritual gift. Get your focus right. It's a giver, not the gift. It never has been the gift. It's a giver. But then secondly, remember, the fabric of grace is multicolored. And each of us have a place we fit on it. But it's all to bring visibility to the Lord who lives within us. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.